This morning, uh, we're going to continue our series on Matthew. Uh, the Matthew series is called The Gospel of the Kingdom. Uh, and last week, Miguel did a great job of leading us through uh, the first part of Matthew 6. Uh, and there's a really important part of that section uh, that's called the Lord's Prayer. And so one thing that I think I have seen happen over this past year, and again, I'm fairly new to this church, but I think there was just a renewed emphasis on being a praying church. You know, there were so many days where we didn't know what to do, what comes next, how do you handle this COVID thing, we can't even meet in person. And we tried to put an emphasis on when we don't know what to do, turn to the Lord in prayer. And so last week as Miguel led us through the Lord's Prayer, it was just a great reminder to me that we are called to be a praying church. And I also wanted to remind you of this resource that during the past year, I think we gave this out in October. Uh, if you don't have a copy of this handbook to prayer... Um, I just want to invite you to pick up one of those today. Come see me after church, or you can go to the office anytime the office is open. We've got one of these for every family in the church. It's a great resource to be a church of prayer, to be a person of prayer. Um, and, and the subtitle is Praying Scripture Back to God. And so I think as we looked at the Lord's Prayer where, where Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and he went on and, and showed us how to pray I think this is a great way of following that pattern. Uh, the way this book is laid out encourages you to use scripture as you pray. And so let's continue to be a praying church in the days ahead. Uh, and if you don't have this resource, uh, please get it. I think it's a great way to put into practice the very things that Miguel uh, led us through last week in his sermon. Um, so this morning we're going to be continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the eighth part of the Sermon on the Mount. Today is actually going to be the last day we're in the Sermon on the Mount for about six weeks because we're shifting gears for Holy Week. And then we're going to have a series right after Easter about encountering Jesus for four weeks. Just four different people or groups of people in the New Testament who encountered Jesus. But before we get to that, we have this one more week that we want to look at, and this is what we're calling the treasure principle. This is Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 through 24. So turn there in your Bibles, uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And if you're wondering about the title of the message, uh, I'll shamelessly say I stole it directly from a book, okay? There's this little book here that's called The Treasure Principle. And this is actually a book I think that Trinity Church has actually given out uh, to new members in the past. It's a great little book that talks about this whole principle of generosity and how to pursue God through generosity. And so The Treasure Principle, I think, is a great title for our sermon and I want to put this or just mention this to you as a great resource. If you want to kind of explore a little more some of the things we're talking about today, this is a great resource. It's a really quick read, easy to read, very scripturally based. Uh, so it's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Today, though, we're going to be looking at the treasure principle out of the scripture text, OK, out of Matthew chapter six. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have been said about money and generosity and things like that over the years. In fact, as we're going to see today, Scripture uh, speaks a lot about how we're supposed to handle our money. And why is that? We're going to uncover that today. But, you know, the world has a lot of wisdom. In fact, I, I looked up some, some different quotes about money. There's a lot of people who have a lot to say about money. So here's just a few of them. Uh, one of this is, is this. It says, the safest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it in your pocket. Okay. So we can all appreciate that, right? How'd you get so rich? Where'd you get all your money? I saved it, right? Okay, um, another one. Money is like a sixth sense, and you can't make use of the other five senses without it. All right, so uh, you have to have it to live. 
Uh, some people have said you, you can't live with money and you can't live without it. Um, and that's kind of true as well. Another thing here, money is not the most important thing in the world. Love is. Fortunately, I love money. Whoever said that. And here's another interesting one. Money is the opposite of the weather. Nobody talks about it, but everybody does something about it. Might have to think about that one a little bit, right? Nobody talks about money. Well, here's the thing. We're going to talk about money this morning. And the reason why is because this is where our text has led us. Jesus spends a section of the Sermon on the Mount directly addressing how we handle our money. A super important topic, a super important uh, way of uh, for us to grow in our walk with him. And so uh, as we look at our text this morning, I think there's this treasure principle that we're going to be looking at. And this actually comes up not just in our text today, but throughout all of scripture. And that is this, is that a generous heart is a joyful heart. A generous heart is a joyful heart. You know, uh, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are, you know, he filled in the blank. So you could also say a generous heart is a blessed heart, I think. Uh, that's, a, that's what Jesus is telling us this morning. A faithful, generous heart is a blessed, joyful heart. And so we want to unpack how we see that in our text today. Uh, and so let's begin by looking at the verses from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. All right, so follow along either in your Bibles or, or you can look at the screens. I'm going to go ahead and read through these verses. And here's what it says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. This is a really interesting text that Jesus gives us. Right here in this, this Sermon on the Mount, he says, If you are a citizen of my kingdom, if you know me and you follow me, you are called to a whole different way of living, a whole different way of loving, a whole different way of seeing the entire world. Um, in fact, one illustration I like to use when I think about how Jesus describes your life in this kingdom, in this new world, is a lot of times we like to say, I have a plate of food and the main course is my work. Uh, you know, the, the dessert is maybe my family and you know, you've got all these different items on your plate. Uh, and, and one little sliver of that might be my, my Christianity, my spiritual walk. But when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've got it all wrong if that's how you see life. Because the plate on which everything is held is your spiritual life and your walk with Christ. Everything else fits into that. Your work, your family, your friends, your pursuits of hobbies, uh, your, your uh, time at church. All that fits into this thing that we call our walk with Christ. And he says that is the main thing. And so we're going to look at why the way we handle our money is such a big part of that. You know, Jesus, I think, in this text really explains three things. And if you have a bulletin or if you're watching online, you can look this up online. Um, there are three things, really three principles that I think Jesus wants us to understand in this text. And, and they're pretty simple. 
The first one is this. Jesus talks about lost treasure in verse 19. Verse 19, he talks about lost treasure. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So right off the bat, he gives you a a very clear do not do this statement. He says stop doing this or don't do this. And what's he talking about? I think he's talking about lost treasure. He says if you're accumulating money, possessions, things on earth just to have more, that's basically like losing it. It's stuff that will not last. It's lost treasure. And and the illustration he gives is I love it. Uh, He says it's it's... It's just like uh, it can money doesn't last. It says moth and rust will corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Let me show you a picture of a dollar bill. Have you ever had this happen where your money wears out that dollar bill or $20 bill? Or you, you really start to sweat if it's like a $50 bill and it tears in half. You're like, what am I going to do? Uh, well, you know, fortunately, in our day and age, you can take it to the bank if, as long as you have both halves or the bigger half and they'll they'll replace it for you. But it wasn't so much like that in Jesus' day. If you had, they didn't even have paper money. But if you had money that kind of rotted away, it was gone. There was no insurance policy that could bring it back. So money wears out. And here's the funny thing. We say, well, yeah, that's why we have banks. I put my money in a bank so it can't wear out. It can't be stolen. It's guaranteed by the government. The funny thing is, right, these days you put money in the bank, it may be worth less when you take it out after a year or two. Um, and so it's not even safe in a bank. The other great illustration that Jesus gives us right here is that people can steal your things. We don't like to think about this, um, but people can actually steal your money and possessions. So Jesus is making a point here. He's saying that your possessions, your money, those things are not permanent. You can't count on them. They wear out. They run away. They, they don't last. Money and possessions can be stolen. They're temporary. It wears out. That's the big point he's making. And just so you know, what Jesus is saying here is something that God has actually said throughout Scripture. And there's a lot of warnings in Scripture about finances and about how you handle money. I want us to just look at a few of them because it's important to see not only in the New Testament, but also Old Testament. God says you have to have this right perspective on the money that I give you. Um, and make, make sure we understand this. Money itself is not wrong. Possessions are not wrong to have. God gives them to us for a reason, but he says it's how you use them and the heart behind how you're using them that makes a huge difference. So when we think about this, uh, let me just show you a couple verses that I think show us how important this is to the heart of a person who's following God. So this idea of of money being temporary, this comes from Psalm uh, 49. Verses 16 and 17, it says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. It's a good reminder, God is giving his people, he's giving us, he says, you might accumulate all kinds of things. But when your life ends, you're not taking a single penny of it with you. Not a dime. Probably heard the saying that you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, right? Because you can't move your stuff with you when you leave this earth. Possessions are temporary. Money is temporary. You can carry nothing away when you die. You know, one thing that this always reminds me of, I I always am fascinated with the, the archaeological studies of Egypt, right? How the pharaohs would bury themselves or they'd have themselves buried in these gigantic tombs. Uh, some of them maybe under the pyramids, things like that with all their wealth, treasures and prizes and, 
and all this amazing wealth so it could be with them while they were dead. Well, what happened to those treasures? It's pretty much either stolen or else it's just sitting there underground and it hasn't been discovered yet. They tried to take their treasures with them, uh, but they couldn't. I mean, it's just buried underground. When he dies, he will carry nothing away. That's a major principle in Scripture is that whatever possessions you have in life, they're only in this life. You can't take them with you. That's why Jesus talks about, uh, here as we're going to see, uh, about storing up treasure that can't go away. Another verse, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. This is an interesting one. It says this, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The picture here that, that God gives us in the book of Proverbs, this is a wisdom book. The wise perspective on money remembers that money can fly away. It says wealth sprouts wings and flies away. Um, and that's an important thing to remember. No matter how secure you think you are, um, how much money you think I've saved enough to take care of myself forever, it can go away. I hate to burst your bubble if you've got a, a great retirement plan, but wealth can fly away. We have to remember that. Wealth is not permanent. Wealth cannot satisfy. Another one. Uh, this is moving now into the New Testament. There's several places in the New Testament that really speak strongly to this issue. Matthew 6 is one of them. 1 Timothy 6 is another one. So this is where the Apostle Paul addresses Timothy and reminds him that as you follow the Lord, how you handle money is incredibly important. How you view money is important. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11, it says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So this is another warning passage. Money is dangerous. But did you notice what it says here? It says it's like a snare. A snare that is set. Those who desire to be rich fall into a snare. Now, I grew up, uh, every now and then we'd have like a varmint, a raccoon or a possum or something that was trying to attack our chickens, okay? And so we would set a trap and we'd put bait in there. And that animal would come along and it'd say, oh, I want that bait. And it'd go in the trap and we didn't believe in catch and release, but that's all I'll say about that, okay? So uh, that was the end. And so the animal would, would, would seek that bait and get trapped. They were snared by their desire. And God says that's exactly what happens. If you fall into this snare of this desire to be rich, to accumulate possessions and money for yourself, it's like falling into a trap that's going to cause all kinds of grief. Why? Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. We have to remember that. You know, this is important. It doesn't say money is a root of all kinds of evils. Again, God knows we need finances to survive. We need possessions to stay alive. Um, but it says the love of it. In other words, being preoccupied with it. Having an unhealthy attraction to money is the root of all kinds of evils. And the result is ruin and destruction. Okay, so there's another warning. Skipping ahead a little bit in First Timothy, uh, it's, well, the next verse says, "But as for you, O man of God, pursue these things, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness." 
That's exactly what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Flee from the things that would destroy you and run towards the things that I've given you as a gift. Live life the way that I designed it. One more section of 1 Timothy 6. It says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is important. You know, th- these are kind of hard verses to hear, right? We all kind of want to save up so that we keep ourselves secure. And if I just get a little more money, then my life will be safe and I'll be able to do the things I want, have the things I want. But God says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Riches and wealth is an uncertain thing. It comes and goes. It fl- sprouts wings and flies away like a bird. It's not what's certain. Set your hope not on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. We're going to talk about what that looks like and how to even use your finances uh, to, to demonstrate your hope in God. Because he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You know, the next section of, of Matthew 6, we're not going to talk about it today. Uh, we'll get to it after Easter. Actually, I think we're coming back to it on Mother's Day. But it says, uh, therefore, do not worry because you know God knows everything you need. And so uh, when we get this perspective on money wrong, it can lead to all kinds of things in your life. So God richly provides us with everything we need to enjoy. Another one here, James 5, 1 through 3. Now, now James is talking to people who've been abusing and hoarding their wealth. People who are just keeping their money for themselves and not worried about people around them, others around them who have uh, severe physical needs. And, and so James says that's not right. If you're hoarding wealth and not willing to share it or love others, uh, that's not right. Here's what he says. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. What James is describing is not someone who's following God and, and using their finances to, to deepen their relationship with, his, with him. He's describing people who've become completely self-centered, potentially people who don't even know Christ. And they've made their great hope is the money they make. And he says that's not right. Hoarding for themselves. See, wealth and money presents a real danger in our lives. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. That's what all of Scripture is trying to tell us. Money can be dangerous because it grabs us. It tricks us. It ensnares us. You know, it's not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong to let things possess you. That's not a quote from me. That's from Warren Wiersbe. He said, it's not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong to let things possess you. And that we see that here in, in uh, Matthew six twenty three and going on, six twenty five and everything. So lost treasure. Jesus says if you set your hopes on the treasure of this world, accumulating more and more for yourself, it's like pursuing lost treasure. You will lose that treasure one day, guaranteed. All of us will. Death is the great equalizer. And what's more, God says that even while you here are here on earth, don't pursue that. Instead, here's the second principle Jesus tells us, is the principle of lasting treasure. 
there is a treasure that will last. There is a way to invest your finances in something that will last. And I want to pause right here and say this. There might be a way that people could walk away from a message like this or a text like this and say, oh, so if I give my money to God or if I pay enough, then God will accept me and then I'll be able to live in heaven with him forever. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Okay, Jesus is not saying that if you give me your money, then I'll let you into heaven. Okay, he's not saying that. He's saying because you know me, because you follow me, because I've already saved you through Christ, now I want you to invest your money in the things that truly matter because you're a citizen of my kingdom. And he says invest your wealth, invest your resources in lasting treasure. Verses 20 and 21 says this, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And this is a really important concept to grasp. There's a contrast here between storing up treasures on earth and storing up treasures in heaven. We want to dig into that a little bit and see what is that talking about. I think verse 21 is kind of that key verse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's oftentimes I think we think it should be the other way around. But Jesus says this in a very specific way. We think it should be where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So if I really care about something or someone, then I'll put my treasure there. But Jesus actually says it the other way, doesn't he? He says, put your treasure there and your heart is going to follow it. He knows how we as humans work. What you invest in is what you're going to care about. Now, if you show me where your treasure is, you're also showing me where your heart is. Your treasure reveals your heart. And so there's two questions I want to ask you this morning as it relates to this point, this, this principle of lasting treasure. First question we have to ask ourselves is this, where is your treasure? Literally, where have you put your financial resources? Where are you storing it? What have you invested it in? Because that's going to reveal where your heart is. Where are you investing it? And here's the other thing. What return are you hoping to receive from that? Because like every good investment, right? If you go talk to someone who's into uh, financial investing, like an investment advisor, financial advisor, they always say, well, choose things that if you put your money in, it will give you a good return, a good return on investment. And so Jesus says the return on the investment that I'm talking about is heavenly treasure. You invest in the things of the Lord. You will reap a heavenly treasure. You're storing up heavenly treasure. Your treasure reveals where your heart is. There's a couple different kinds of hearts that I think are revealed by where our treasure is. Okay, If you're investing your treasure in entertainment, in uh, things of this earth, I would say you have a distracted heart. Uh, Jesus told the story, uh, the parable of the, the sower and the seed, and he talks about how the, the worries of this world and the concerns of life choked out the word of God. And so I would say this, if you're investing in those kind of distractions, entertainment, uh, pleasure, whatever that might look like, uh, that shows that you may have a distracted heart. If you're giving all your finances to those kind of things. Here's the other thing about a distracted heart. Jesus has something to say about this as well. Sometimes we think, well, I can do some of my money to heaven, you know, to heavenly treasure, and some of it is just for me. Well, yes, you have to survive, but God does, uh, Jesus does give us a warning here about 
trying to serve both of them. We're going to see that in the third principle. So a distracted heart or a divided heart reveals uh, that your treasure is placed in something else other than heavenly pursuits. So a distracted heart is one thing that's revealed. A hoarding heart would be another thing, right? Where you're just saving it. You're accumulating a stockpile of money for yourself, whether that's your retirement. Maybe it's just you just are not generous. You don't want to give anything away. I think that reveals a hoarding heart or a selfish heart. Um, And a selfish heart, I believe, is a proud heart, saying that I'm the most important thing here. And God says... Don't use your treasure to do that. That's, that's storing up treasure for yourself on earth. Those first two kinds of heart are storing up treasure for yourself on earth. But I think the third heart, this is the kind of heart that God wants us to have, is the idea of a generous heart. A heart that overflows with generosity. Because that is one of the greatest pictures of being filled with God's love. If you understand his generous love for you, we call that grace. You receive something you didn't deserve, and it's more than you could possibly use. God shares that with us generously. And that's the picture of how we're to hold our possessions, loosely in our hands as tools to help us share the love of God. To be generous, serve God and others with your material possessions. That's what Jesus says when he says, I want you to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Invest in eternal things, things that will last. What are the things that will last? People. And your relationship with God. Your treasure reveals where your heart is. Here's a couple verses that talk about this idea of a generous heart and what it looks like to store up for your self treasures in heaven. This is back to 1 Timothy 6 again. It says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you catch that in those verses? Jesus says that to truly live a joyful life, the life he designed humans to live, you're called to be generous. To share what you have. Back to verse 18. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Where is your treasure this morning? Where have you invested? You know, I think God calls us to invest in these eternal things. Some of those would be investing in spiritual growth. Investing in things that will cause your own spiritual growth and cause the spiritual growth of others. Okay, investing in spiritual growth. Invest in meeting needs, right? Jesus preaches that throughout the Gospels. Don't hoard the things for yourself. Actually help others who have needs. Share. Invest in sharing the Gospel. That's huge. We are here as a church. You are here as individuals to make disciples. Go out and share this amazing news that Christ has shared with you. Guess what? It takes resources to make that happen. Invest in sharing the gospel. So you might say, well, where, how do I actually invest this? Well, I will tell you this, right? Supporting your church is one way that God calls us to give. 
lest you think I'm self-serving and telling you to give to this organization. I will just tell you, God says invest in organizations that share the gospel. It doesn't have to be this church. We have mission partners, our mission team. Uh, Walter uh, Robichaud does a great job of leading this team along with others of choosing partners for our church to support. And I would just recommend to you any of them. Um, if, we, if we're supporting them as a church, feel free to support them. Invest in what they're doing to share the gospel as well. Invest in ministries that share the gospel and meet needs in a variety of ways. You know, where is your treasure? Um, I, ha- I heard a speaker once who said this. Somebody came to him once and said, I just don't feel like giving. You know, I've got money, but I just don't feel like doing it. What's, what should I do? And his answer was, write a big check. I was like, what? Is that biblical? Uh, but the speaker explained himself. He said, actually, I think that comes straight out of Matthew six twenty one, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know God's asking you to invest in these eternal things. Go ahead and invest in it. And then guess what? You're going to care about them. Your heart is going to follow. Here's an illustration on this, okay? I have uh, on my phone, I have the weather app. So I'm always looking at it to see what the weather is going to be this week. Well, guess what? On my weather app, I have about four different favorite locations. One of them is Benton, Kansas. Okay, that's where I grew up. I still have family there. In fact, my, my little brother was here uh, last week. Emphasis on little brother, if you're watching, Luke. Um, so, uh, so here's the thing. Uh, I care about the people in Kansas. I care about my family in Nebraska. I care about my sister in Michigan. I care about my family in Birmingham. And so I'm always watching what's the weather like there. Why? It's because I care about the people there. I have people that I value there. They're part of my treasure. And so I care about that. My people are there, so I care. And so I think the same principle is true with your money. If your money is there, you're going to care. So if you're investing in eternal resources, investing in uh, ministries and people who are sharing the gospel, you're going to care about what they're doing. And you're going to play a valuable part in storing up treasure in heaven. Treasure that will last. Treasure that will last. That's the first question based on this principle, the principle of lasting treasure. But here's the second one that's important. You see this in verses uh, 22 and 23. And it's a simple question. It's what are you looking at? What are you looking at? This is another way we can make sure that we're investing in treasure that will last. And it's what are you looking at? Look at these two verses. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is Jesus talking about here? Why does this relate to this talk about money? Well, in Scripture, when we look at the word desire uh, or look at the the idea of looking at something, desire is always connected with looking at things, uh, or often, I should say, often connected with looking at things in Scripture. Um, In fact, looking and longing, right? In fact, a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus said anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this idea of looking and longing uh, and, and having this desire, when you look at something, you desire it. And so that is connected with riches because what you look at, what you long for can lead you astray. You know, we talk a lot about the danger of sexual temptation, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But there's a danger here that Jesus is pointing out that is equally dangerous. And that's the love of money, the temptation to pursue and to store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's a dangerous thing. 
I read an article this week about this topic, and, and the author said, the title of the article, I think, or maybe it was the subtitle, it says, it said, at least as dangerous as pornography. That's what the phrase was, and it was talking about this love of money. And it's partly because when we see something, we'll do anything we can possibly do to get it. And that's actually maybe easier to do, and it seems like it has less consequences than than uh, sexual temptation, right? We're all easily can fall into this one. What are you looking at? You know, light is found in pursuing heavenly treasure. That's what Jesus is telling us. If you pursue the heavenly things, that is pursuing what's light and good. It's like you have your eyes wide open, able to see the things that God has laid out there. Do you have the same priorities that Jesus wants you to have? Are you gazing at him and at the things he wants you to pursue? Or are you pursuing the things of the earth? Gazing at the things that will take you away from him. Darkness is pursuing the things of earth. And here's the, here's the ironic thing. I think you can identify with this. The things of earth, those things that pull us away from God, oftentimes look so bright and shiny and attractive. And I've just got to have that new truck. Or I've just got to get this new set of clothes. Whatever it is. They look so beautiful. But Jesus tells us that's actually darkness. Pursue the things that last. And they will be true by us. First John 2, 15 through 17 makes this point. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its evil desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's our call this morning, is to do the will of God. And what is it that you're looking at? I would just challenge you. Uh, Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Desire to serve him. The idea of looking at things is talking about what are you looking at and desiring. Desire him. Recognize that he is the greatest craving you'll ever have. The song we sang, there's nothing that's better than him. Nothing that's better than you. Desire to serve the king. Deposit your money, your time, your possessions in his bank. Store up things that are eternal, not things that are just temporary here on earth for yourself. This idea of lasting treasure is incredibly important. Jesus says we are called to pursue lasting treasure, not the lost treasure. That brings us to the last point, the last principle that he makes. And he says this, don't forget, you have one master. You have one master. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a pretty strong statement from Jesus. Here he is, the master of the universe, the creator of the universe. He knows how humans work. And he knows we're tempted to think, I can do both. I can pursue both. I want to be comfortable, but I also, I'll, I'll, you know, treat God right too. He says, no, you're pursuing one master. Pursue him. Everything else fits into that. Otherwise, we'll get distracted. What's your greatest love? Whom do you love? Do you love things or do you love a person? Who do you serve? Hebrews 13, 5. 
Keep your love free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who do you love? Do you love money, possessions? Or do you love the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you? That's what we're called to do. There's nothing that's better than this. Did you also notice that takeaway in there? It says, be content with what you have. Paul says, this is one of the great secrets I've learned is to be content with what I have. And in that way, I can love the king. I can love my master. I can serve him. Back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I would again encourage you, crave something far better than money. Crave something that's better than any possessions you could ever have. Anything on this earth. Crave that relationship with your king. There's nothing that's better than him. You know, I've showed you this picture before. It comes back to this when we talk about finances. If you're pursuing things for yourself, storing up earthly treasures, it's like you're trying to source your own life. There's nothing there for you. It's a dead end. Wealth for your own benefit is a dead end. Don't pursue that. Jesus says, this is one of the ways you can build your relationship with me. If you know me, build your relationship with me, continue your relationship with me by faithfully using the resources I've given you. How you handle your money and your wealth is incredibly important in your connection with him. It's not what earns that connection, but it is the way that we follow him. He's your master. This morning, just to conclude things, I would say this. Who is your king? Who is your king? Who's your master? And I pray that it's Jesus. The king who left the riches of heaven. He denied himself and gave up all that he had so that he could bring you to God forever. The king who invested in you by denying himself. The king who has saved you if you believe in him. If you don't know him as your king, today is a great day to do that. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're not sure if you know him, you're not sure if you've trusted him, come talk to me. Because who is your king? The true king of the universe is Jesus. That's the gospel of the kingdom. He has saved you if you trusted in him. And that is good news. I want to read the last sentence of this book, The Treasure Principle, the last little two sentences of this book, just as an encouragement to you. And then we're going to close in prayer. And part of the prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll actually close by reading the Lord's Prayer. As we kind of wrap up this eight-week season in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together, not as empty words, but as Jesus teaching us how to pray. And I pray that we'll go from here to, to do that. But here's the closing words of The Treasure Principle. And this is my invitation to you as well. It says this, I invite you to send your treasures onto heaven where they will safely await you. And when you do, you'll feel the freedom, you'll experience the joy, and you'll sense the smile of God. When you give, you will feel his pleasure. Will you stand with me to pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is nothing that's better than you. And God, we thank you that 
Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, to come and be our king. I pray that we would make him our master, the Lord over our finances and possessions, God, in every area of life. God, I thank you that he cared enough to come and rescue us. Pray you'd be with us over the next couple weeks as we celebrate uh, the sacrifice that he made during Holy Week. And God, we thank you for so many things, but also not the least of which is how he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Go and make disciples.